What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Hey, Glenn. Yes. Something amazing's happened. Go on, tell me. I found Jason Furman's phone number. No so way. We should ring him and see if we, we can should. buy some dog equipment off him. We've got to put this to rest once and for all. There's so many people harassing me about his website and you. So, yeah, let's ring this idiot. Ring him up. Okay, hang on a sec. It's ringing. I'm excited. Hello. Hey, Jason. Yes, Patricia. <laughs> I'm ringing to uh, try and buy some dog equipment off you. Yeah, what do you want? I don't know, some tugs, some leashes, some some of that kind of stuff. Can I do that over the phone? No. Okay, Why let's would get, you do it over the phone? Mate, let's get down to the nitty-gritty in the business here. Have you got a website or not? Of course. What? Yeah, of course. I just didn't want to tell you buggers about it. You're an idiot. <laughs> so <laughs> please tell us, what is your website? It is www.einzweck.com, E-I-N-Z-W-E-C-K.com. You heard it here, folks. Einzweckdogquip.com, where you can buy oh all God, your dog training equipment. It. Head over there right now, purchase yourself some tugs, leashes. What else do you sell, Jason? Uh, plenty of HS products, uh, mm-hmm. dog pull equipment, fireball mills, anything any normal dog person would want. Wonderful. No head holders. No, no head holders. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Hey, Cut Jason. Yes, Glenn. You're still a bullfed. Bye. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And joining us all the way from the USA is our close personal friend, Mr. J-Jack. Hey, that's actually true, though, right? Like, usually when you guys say that, you're bullshitting because it's like Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? I've actually pulled people up on that in the past and said, no, if you actually know someone, you can't call them your close personal friend. That's the interesting part, isn't it? Like, yeah, people have started to try and jump on that bandwagon and said, no, no, we know you. You're just a friend. You're just a friend. An actual friend. Yeah, it's it's a heartbreaking (laughs) comment, but... That is a that is a, a code. Like close personal friend means I don't actually know you that well. Yeah, I have an an album on my Facebook of my close personal friends, and it's like you know every time you get to take a photo <laughs> of someone famous with you, you know, <laughs> no, just a friend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, be- so before we get into the nuts and bolts of this conversation, Jay, I just got to say. I've been listening to your GRC Dog Talk podcast with you and Mandy, and I spend yeah. more time laughing at you laughing than I, I listen to the actual content <laughs> of what you're trying to say. <laughs> like, it just starts off like you'll, you and Mandy will be talking about something, and like less than five minutes into it, I'll just hear... <laughs> <laughs> like, I have the worst. I didn't, I didn't really notice it until, like, so I have two kind of laughs, right? I have, like, the old smoker dude laugh, like, where I go, like, like that. Yeah. And then I have, like, a really bad, like, maniac laugh. Like, I will laugh uncontrollably, and it's like, somebody told me, uh, 
there was one time on the podcast when I was doing J-Jack Uncensored and I, somebody was like, you sound like the Joker. And I was like, no, I don't. That's stupid. And then they, they did like a side-by-side comparison. Like they did my laugh and then the Joker. And I was like, oh shit, I kind of sound like <laughs> So if I'm like really, truly laughing, I sound like insane. And if I'm just kind of sort of laughing, I sound like I've been smoking for 50 years. Yeah, I had to actually pull over on the side of the road. I was laughing that much. I had tears in my eyes. <laughs> my my favorite part of your podcast is watching Mandy give you sass. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. Isn't that the best? Yeah. Like, I don't think people it's, – it's funny because, like, I can get ribbed by friends. It's not a problem, but nobody gives me as much shit as she does, and people think it's hilarious. It's like when we're at the gym, she just – just bags on me. Like she'll just shit on me. Doesn't laugh at any of my jokes, says terrible things to me, like rolls her eyes constantly. And it's funny because the humor is people who are terrified of me trying not to let me see how much joy they're taking. <laughs> like I'll say something and she'll go, that is so stupid. And you'll see them like gritting their teeth and like trying not to let a smile out because then I just look at all of them like fucking laugh say some shit and they're all just like trying not to laugh and it's pretty funny man yeah that's uh that was our that was our bonding uh when when I first met her she was like immune to me or something like she just didn't give a shit about anything <laughs> at all she was just like you are unimpressive and I'm not scared of you and nothing you said is funny and nothing you said is profound and it was just like non-plus like the most non-plus person you've ever seen in your life and I was like okay I think I love you a little bit <laughs> that is really funny hey um so I want to talk to you today about GRC but before we get into that I might have seen one of the funniest things in my life uh, yesterday on Facebook where you uh, windmilled someone oh, at a man, seminar. that was fucking hysterical. <laughs> I have never heard a sound like that come out of a person. It surprised <laughs> me. Like, I was going to plan on swinging them around. So, like, I grabbed her ankles and I was going to swing her around in a circle and, like, get the momentum to let her feet leave the ground. We were talking about momentum, right? <laughs> And I grabbed her by the feet and I told her what was going to happen. I was like, this is what it's going to look like. And I even took like a kettlebell and attached a leash to it. And I swung it around in a circle and said, this is what I'm going to do. And I made a point of going like, you can actually move a really good amount of weight with this, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, watch, let me show you. I'll have somebody you know, volunteer. And she's like, volunteer. And I go, okay, let me grab your ankles. And I was like, I'm going to spin you around just like we did the kettlebell. After about half a turn, your back's going to leave the ground. It's going to be like a little, you know, circus ride or something. It'll be cool. And she was like, okay, no problem. And I picked her feet up and I took like a half a turn and the second her back started to leave the ground she made a squeal that I couldn't contain myself like I put her down because I was like she screamed you didn't put her down dude you just dropped her on the floor and fucking buckled over (laughs) I was laughing so hard I could almost not walk I was just like that was the funniest thing and what's funny is she sent me, I guess she used to ride BMX bikes, and uh, she sent me this clip of her, like, the first time she ever, like, caught air on a jump on a BMX bike, and she made almost the exact same <laughs> That's just so, her like, flying her, noise. 
apparently that's their airborne noise. <laughs> it was so funny. I put it on like a loop. I would just sit there and push play. And all night, Mandy, like by the end of the night, she was getting annoyed with me because he, he would, she'd be sitting there trying to watch like a show or something. And over from my side of the couch, you just hear, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I just got it playing on a loop. This woman's screaming. You wanted to share text message tone. Oh my God. I don't know how to do that, but that for sure. Her name was Carrie. Carrie, I'm going to make that your ringtone for sure. <laughs> Someone's going to text you that. Someone who knows how to do that is going to text you that that audio file with an explanation of how to do it. I promise that by this oh, afternoon. Yeah, it's going to be text. awesome. Somebody's got to do that. That would be amazing. That would yeah. be so good. So speaking of the JRC thing, that woman is actually one of the administrators. Mm-hmm. Uh, she has some crazy title we made. They're not jokes, but like when you would, when you make the structure of the organization, because now it's like it's a real enough thing mm-hmm. that I can't. In the beginning, it was just me and some shit written down on a napkin and bubble gum stuck to the wall. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it was just some bullshit I had going. But like it starts to become more and more real, and I get more and more organized. And then on that page, I was like, man. I'm, I'm getting to the point where I'm like, I'm hitting my limits is knowing how to like track things and, and databases and spreadsheets. And I'm like, fuck man, I'm out of my depth. I don't know what I'm doing. And so Carrie was one of the two girls that like volunteered. So Carrie and Kim's Barbara, Kim Barber and Carrie Pottle are like the administrative backbone behind the organization. Cool. So like me and Andy are like idea people or whatever, but they are the, they are the people who, when you fill out the paperwork for the results, there's like a, a <laughs> and this is me talking straight out of my ass because I actually don't know about this stuff because they're the ones that do it. Uh-huh. But like there's this paperwork packet after you do a, a, a trial and it's like a summary that you fill out so they can track everybody's points because you get points towards titles and you have to do a certain amount of legs and you have to get a certain amount of points and you have to have uh, uh, a certain qualifying score to, to do drive sport titles and stuff. And somebody's got to track all that shit. Mm-hmm. And so they are the brain people that do all the back end, like the tracking and the organizational stuff. They are like the ones that we, we just recently got, um, uh, nonprofit status mm-hmm. to actually be a nonprofit organization, and like I couldn't have done that. Like that—that that sounds like navigating space to me. Like, <laughs> know how to fucking do that if you put a gun to my head. So like all that stuff is the stuff that they're accomplishing. So it's pretty awesome. But that's why she volunteered because she's like, oh, I'm part of the team. I'll volunteer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So now it doesn't matter how many cool ass things she's done under the organization. She's going to be forever remembered as this squealing woman that got swung around by her feet. <laughs> Somebody's going to go, oh, yeah, Carrie. Yeah, yeah. Wait, what did I know about you? She's like, oh, I'm on the organization. I'm the, I'm the, I'm on the board. Titles. Yeah, when we made titles. So there's like, there's a board of directors and she's got like the creative. I don't know. They gave themselves titles. I, like it's not secretary. We gave we gave each other like ridiculously sound like uh-huh. you know the universal creative director or some nonsense, right? But it's like nobody's going to remember that. They're just going to remember <laughs> you swung out by your feet screaming. It was like uh, Jason Biggs out of American Pie. Uh, he got known as the pie fucker for for yeah. years yeah. after he did that movie. <laughs> Talk about being typecast. <laughs> 
Yeah, right. That's it. That's forever. That you can't get another roll. It's just like so. You know what? What am I reading for today? We're gonna fuck a blueberry pie. Oh, good. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I thought maybe we could do some Shakespeare. No, no, no. You're fucking pies. That's what's gonna happen. Hey, um. So that happened at your defensive tactics seminar. You just ran the first one of that, right? I did. I did. It was. It was really. It was really cool, man. It's like. Uh, it's one of those things that sometimes like when you when you are teaching something that you have learned systematically, it's easy to then systematically teach it to someone else. Mm-hmm. But when you are doing something that either you have just intuitively figured out or have kind of put together on your own time, then to be able to systematically give it to somebody else is actually a really complicated thing. Mm-hmm. Like to try to figure out what comes first. Like if you've never shaped a behavior before and you're just figuring it out, it's way more complicated than if it's something that like step one when you look at the dumbbell click. Step two, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like if somebody breaks it down for you, it's much easier. But it's like this is trying to find ways to get this stuff across to people, and which is a little difficult, but really being creative and trying to find ways to practice. Mm-hmm. Because it's 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 super tough. It's like there's this thing that it's a little bit like other people aren't going to know what I'm talking about. You may have a little bit of a better understanding than most, but it's like when you're trying to practice knife fighting, you can't actually fight with knives. Mm. (laughs) You can fight with rubber knives. You can do shock knives that are like, you know, they sting, but they don't cut. Like there's all these approximations that you can do, but Mm -hmm. you can't actually do the thing. Mm -hmm. But the truth is with almost everything, you can approximate it in a way that gets you close enough that you're like, okay, I feel pretty good about understanding how to do this in reality because I've done this approximated variation. But a, a dog doing a live, a, a committed dog who is not playing a game, trying to hurt you and you don't have on protective gear, there's just no, there's yeah. no approximations. You know what I mean? Like there's just no, now I tell people we had a, had a guy come out, bring a bite suit and a, and a police dog. And we put people in a suit and let them experience a bite in a suit. And that is an approximation, but they couldn't try to do any defensive tactics against that dog because if you're unsuccessful, it didn't help you. And if you are successful, it doesn't help the fucking dog. Yeah. So it's like, you wouldn't want to be able, you wouldn't want to successfully defend yourself against that dog because it would ruin that dog. Mm-hmm. So like, but they can have the approximated experience of the, of the pressure of the bite and how it looks and how it feels and how it feels to try to stay up when a dog's pushing or pulling. So we can approximate that part of it and we can practice a thing with a stuffed dog where they're learning positioning. We can practice a drill with each other where when the person reaches their hand, like a, an open hand, like a, a mouth, they're pushing towards you. You're learning how to parry. You're learning how to slide this across. But it's like there's nothing in it that is the actual thing. Yep. And it's really hard for people. I, I felt kind of not insecure, but like <clears throat> concerned. It's like, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you run a dog seminar and you're like, here's us playing. I'm going to teach you how to play tug with the dogs. At some point, we're playing fucking tug with the dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, if I'm like, we're doing a seminar about sending a dog to bite a suit. At some point, we're sending a fucking dog to bite a suit. But it's weird to do a seminar for dog people, for me in martial arts, it makes sense because we can't do live gun disarms for real, so we have to use fake guns. So in my head, it makes sense to me, but I always, I was a little bit like worried that people in the dog world weren't going to be satisfied with approximation stuff, and we're going to be left feeling like we didn't actually do the thing. Mm-hmm. You know? 
But uh, everybody had good things to say about it. Like it got good reviews. People told me. I mean, what are they going to say to your face? Like you're like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, just on top of that, Jay, I just want to pay you a genuine compliment because there's quite a few times where you've. In, in conversation, you've said to Pat and I and several other people that you don't really consider yourself a, a people person, yet you've situated yourself in a position in life where you really are a people person because you're constantly around people coaching them. And the compliment that I'm trying to pay to you is I actually think you're a fucking fantastic public speaker. You've got a very genuine way when you're dealing with people and your learning format because, I mean, I think you're very captivating. I, I like listening to you talk. I find you very educational. You inject humor at the right time and you get your message through very well. So I think you're a great public Personally, you're a very good people person. I think a lot of people think that teaching is an action, like a gift. And I guess that for some people it is, you know what I mean? But like, and I, there's probably an element of me having natural ability at it or whatever, but I feel like I've spent a long, long time actually working on how to teach yep. Yep. and Great. not just like let it come out. Like I actually sit around, like you should see like my Google Drive. There's like a 5 million different like I'll have one idea written out six different ways and like I'll teach it to somebody and then I'll come back and I'll, I'll write notes about how they took it and go like this form, like doing this idea before this idea didn't work. I need to back change this idea because like yeah. trying to teach it from this way to this way didn't work. It confused people. Yeah, but so you can tell that. You can tell that when you yeah, listen yeah. to you uh, articulate things, you can tell that you've actually sat down and like engineered it to sound almost as perfect as you can get it because it doesn't sound contrived when you're putting your point across. Yeah, yeah. that's cool, man. That, 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 that's a huge compliment because both of you guys uh, are very good teachers and very good communicators. So to be able to uh, have somebody think that about you is, is nice. Like if it was an adult saying it, you're like, you're impressed because you're not talking about But like when somebody that's actually in the business and good at it says that, that, that means something that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's look, there's people that I've listened to and I, and I mean no offense by saying this, but I listen to what they're saying and what they're saying is is great you know like their information is good but i tune out because it becomes a little monotonous and a little vanilla after a period of time but like i said you know your laughter and the fun that you have when you're talking about things and your passion that you inject into it i mean pat's very similar he has a very good way of communicating with people and he adds intelligence and humor into it and i i think that's refreshing for people when there's so much content out there but a, a lot of times when people are talking about it they kind of they lose themselves and get very monotone in, in the delivery that they're doing. So yeah. it's really nice to hear people who are very enthusiastic and very passionate about what they're doing and can make it funny at the same time. So, yeah, I, I love it, man. I think what you're doing is great. I think I think in anything, like, there's technical master. Well, you guys, I'm going to sound like a Mipopo guy now, right? I'm totally uh, – Welcome to the team. You've been to two Nipopo seminars. You are you're on yeah. the team. <laughs> <laughs> what is that rule like on the internet? If you credit it three times, it's yours. Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you attend a seminar three times, they get to claim you. Yeah. So yeah, it's like a, a, like the heart and soul thing. Mm -hmm. Like there's technical mastery, and then there's there's a passion behind it, and I think that a lot of people are passionate, but they don't spend time on the craft of articulating their idea like they don't yeah. actually learn about teaching as an art form mm -hmm. like all these people talk about teaching dogs as like really trying to break down the method of teaching but then they don't understand that like 
there's the same kind of idea in teaching humans as well. And a lot of it's exactly the same, but obviously language and analogy and metaphor, you can't use that shit with dogs. But like with people, you can use that stuff. So it's like, it's a, there's an art to teaching. There's like a technical mastery to teaching, but then there's passion. So it's like you're passionate, but you're not articulate. It doesn't matter that you're passionate. Nobody's going to understand what the hell you're talking about. But if you're just dry and you're like, here's the information, people are not going to hear you. Yeah. So it's like, I think you have to really, it takes a, a special kind of attention, I think, to be able to put enough emphasis on the technicality of it, but not lose your passion because you're trying to be so technical. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I th- but I think it's the same thing with dogs. Like you want a dog to do this performance, but you don't want them to just robotically go through it. You want them to be passionate about their performance. So it's like yeah. you need to be precise, but also passionate. Yeah, you know? I, I agree a hundred percent. And I think that, it's so important for almost everybody in the dog training industry to realize that they are people trainers, not dog trainers. Like, mm. I mean, lots of people are dog trainers. They, you, you get the dog out of the kennel, you train that dog, you put it away, you do a handover, whatever. There are people, I acknowledge that, who just train dogs, get them ready for the street or get them ready to go back into a home, whatever it is. But the majority of us- You're a counselor. Yeah, I mean, I hardly mm. train any any dogs. I train, I train my own dogs. And I, I, what I have learned over time is it's more often than not not helpful to say to the person, here, look, give me the dog and I'll show you what I mean. Because yes. you, you can, of course you can show them what, what you, you can get a better performance from the dog than they can right there. Mm. But that more often than not doesn't help them doing it. Now, now one or two reps might be a good demonstration for the person to see the mechanics sure. of it or something like that. Yeah. But the awesome result that you get right there with the dog is pointless because that's a relationship with you and that's the result with you, not what that person's going to be able to do. So we all, we are, you know, 90% of the people in this industry are people trainers, not dog trainers. We're just teaching people dog skills. Mm. There does have to be a little bit of monkey see, monkey do though. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, of course. A lot of times one of the things I like to do is my favorite use of a demo dog is not in me demonstrating the dog, but in having them work my dog. Mm-hmm. Right? Because it's one of those things where like we talk about this all the time with dogs learning in pictures and they need to see the correct picture so they know what it is they're trying to do. But like if you try to teach, like if you look at dog training like a dance, you're trying to teach two people that don't know how to dance how to dance. Mm-hmm. If we had two people in the room come in and they're like, I don't know how to dance and I've got my buddy Johnny and Johnny knows how to dance and I know how to dance. Like the smart money is not on you and Johnny standing there coaching two stupid people badly dancing with one another. <laughs> smart, money, smart money would be on like, you work with Johnny, I'll work with you. We will both teach you what, we'll teach each person what their part in this dance looks like. And then we'll put you together and you'll both have a better chance of dancing with one another. Because at least one of you, if only one of you knows what the picture is supposed to look like. But if I take the dog and teach them the middle position and the dog knows what middle position looks like, but you have never experienced that picture with a dog, you're not going to move as well or be doing things as accurately. And then the dog is going to go, you're not doing this right. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to look weird. But if I can take my dog who knows how to do it and tell you, okay, here are the words. Here's a tug toy. You're going to work with my dog. You say yes, and he'll hit it. You say out, he'll let go. 
that's all you need to know for right now. Enjoy yourself. And then they're just like, whoa. And then you go, look, here's three other words you can say. You can say down. You can spread your legs and say in. And you can say come. And he will, you don't even worry about what they mean. You just say the word, he'll do the thing. Mm. But then they're working with this dog and they see what it looks like and how it feels to them. And I can take their shitty dog and teach the dog like how it starts to look. Mm-hmm. But then when you put those two people back together, you know what I mean? It looks way better because at least the person is like, I know what this should look like and what it should feel like. And this feels a little off to me. But yeah. otherwise, they're just like, we, we put all this emphasis on the dog seeing the correct picture, but we never really think that much about the person seeing the correct picture. And the truth is, uh, obedience with a dog is kind of a dance you do together. Like you have your part of it too. Yeah, 100%. You know yeah. What I mean? And it's if a very important part. Your part's all fucked up. Yeah, it's huge. One of the cool things that Ivan said when in one of his videos, he was like, here are the rules for the dogs. There's three rules for the dogs, right? Don't bite my hands or my clothes. Like they were talking about playing tongue. He's like, don't bite my hands or my clothes. Out when I say out. You know what I mean? It was like three things, like super stupid basic things, right? Mm-hmm. And then they were like, here's the rules for the handlers. And all that just pops up this huge list of like, when you say out, you then must stop moving. You can't move the toy when you do this. This is the thing. Yeah. Don't make a miss after it. And it's like all these really complicated rules. And if you look at it, it's like the person has way more responsibility in that game mm-hmm. than the dog does. The dogs just don't miss the toy. Don't be a dick. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the handler's role was way more complex. Yeah. But everybody, I think everybody puts all this emphasis. I think a little bit of the paradigm is the dog is responsible. The person is not. And they put a lot of attention on the dog knowing the picture and the dog knowing the dance and the dog being responsible for this dance. And they put less on themselves. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is why I'm so helpless when you take a dog and work the dog and then hand it back to the person. It falls apart. It falls apart because the person doesn't know they're half of the picture. Yeah, totally. Yeah, well, in going into that further, there's a quote that I often say to a lot of the NDTF students is, the dog is a product of whatever environment it's in. Mm. Unless that person is adaptive to their own environment with the dog, I mean, that's all the information it's going to take in. It'll just do what it knows to do. Yeah. You know what you're talking about? Uh, sorry, Jay, I feel especially, uh, I agree with you, especially when you're training decoys that somebody has to know what to do, whether it's the decoy or the dog, one of them yes. has to know what's going on. And it's yep. so hard to train someone to catch bites uh, with a dog that is also learning how to do it correctly because yes. it's a scary thing and there's a lot that can go wrong. Mm. And if you present the wrong thing, you need a dog that's so committed to doing the right thing at that point that he's like, hey, even though you did everything wrong, I'm still going to bite you in the spot where I know is the right place to bite. And then the people get to see all of the pre-contact cues for what a dog coming into that, that part looks like, even though you're offering something else, he goes to the other spot and you need that dog. And that's, what's so hard about training a decoy. But, but I mean, it applies to everything in dog training, but that's where it's like the stakes are very high is where if two, if the two of them don't know what they're doing, there's, it's a recipe for disaster. Someone's getting hurt or a dog's getting poorly trained at the best. The dog's getting poorly trained at the worst. Somebody's getting hurt. Yeah. 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 Whether it's the person or the dog, I say this all the time. Like it's a little bit of a different uh, situation in jujitsu, but I say it all the time. It's like for a technique to work, it's got to reach a hundred. Right. Like, so you can be either of the people involved in this can be responsible Right, like if somebody's asking for something at ninety nine, you only have to put in one. Mm-hmm. And if they're not asking for it at all, you can still make it happen. But you've got to put in 
Uh-huh. You know what I mean? So it's like somebody's dying or they're asking for an arm bar. It's not hard to do one. But if they're not asking for it, it's really hard to extract an arm bar from them because you're responsible for the entire 100. You better be really good at extracting it. But if they're just like, <laughs> like if they're giving you 99 and a half, you only have to put in 0.5. It's great. Yeah, yeah. It's the same thing with the dog. It's like <clears throat> one of you, like you've got to reach 100. Right. So when we take the dog, the dog's only good for 10 because they don't know what the hell they're doing, but we can give 90 and make the picture. But then the person, they're only good for 10. So if you give them a dog, that's only good for 10. It's not coming out. Like yeah, it's yeah. just not, mm. it's not going to come out. And I can tell you one of the cool experiences right in the very beginning of when I started learning about obedience, I got a guy that was, I can't even remember his name, but he had this Malinois and it was a, a sport dog. I think maybe personal protection. I don't know what sport he did. I think in my head, I want to say he did French training. I don't remember. I just remember him doing that thing where he's like, you want to, you want to do something fun? Here's my dog and handed me and tugged to me and said, here are the words he knows. Didn't tell me about cues. Didn't tell me about body language. Just said, here are the words he knows. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay. And I was saying words and the dog was doing stuff. Now I've always played tug with my dogs, but I had never done any really good obedience with my dogs. And I was like, I didn't even know what I was doing. I was like, okay, it was like, actually it was French. And I was like, you know, oh, and the dog outed. And I went, opie. And I don't even know what that means. I don't know what the hell is going on. And the dog like spun back into the heel and was looking at me. And I was like, damn, like that was amazing. And I don't even know what I'm doing. And he's like, yeah, move around. And I'm just like moving around and the obedience is happening. And I'm walking and he goes, you can say whatever you want. I go down and the dog drops or the couche, the dog drops. And I'm just like, this is crazy. And it's weird because I remember having the sense that within the next two days, like 48 hours, my obedience performance with my dogs went up. Mm-hmm. Like I had learned nothing new. The dude didn't tell me how he did any of those things. I just had a better sense of what it was that I was trying to see. Like I'd never seen it from my, it's like you talk about the dog seeing the heel position from their position. Like, I'd seen obedience from outside the picture mm-hmm. and, and was like, oh, cool. I think I know what that should look like. But I'd never seen it from inside the picture. And then you like looking down at a dog in the right position and what it looks like when they let go of the toy with that kind of power and what it looks like when they drop that quickly after you say the word. And just me knowing what it was supposed to look like, like, in a very visceral sense, like I know what this picture is supposed to look like. Just my clarity on what it was supposed to look like somehow or another affected my dogs. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I saw the picture better and because I saw it better, they saw it better. Mm. So it was like, a, it was a really interesting, I thought it was a really interesting thing. Just knowing what my, knowing what the dance was supposed to look like from my perspective, let me have a more clear goal and a more clear picture in my head. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's cool. When I started that's when I started doing that with other people. Mm. Like, I'm going to take your dog. I'm going to play with your dog. Instead of me standing there screaming at you about how to play with your dog badly, <laughs> I'm going to play with your dog. And I'm going to give you a toy. I'm going to let you play with my dog. And then at some point, like once you're starting to be smooth and enjoy it and know it, ah, and you're not like dropping the fucking toy while he waits for you to pick it up because he's not going to hit it because you haven't released him yet. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you're starting to have a little bit more coordination with your game and you're starting to play well and you know what it should look like, you know what it should feel like. And then I give your dog back to you 
and you play that way with him, it's going to work so much better than if you're trying to figure out how to play a game with a dog who also is trying to figure out how to play a game. Yeah. It's way easier for me to play with your dog until he's a little bit smooth, and then you play with my dog until you're less ridiculous, and then put you back together. Yeah, those start-out reps, get the dog going. Mm. Huge. It's huge. But I think that's the best use of a demo dog, and I don't know why, but I don't know that many people that do it. I think most people, when they do the demo dog situation, they're doing the example dog. Mm-hmm. Like, look what I can do with my dog, and look what I can do with your dog. Now, go feel stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I can't do this at all. You can do it with every dog you touch, and I can't do it shit. I think the best use of a demo dog is, look, here's these things. Here's the words they know. Here's what I want you to do. And you feel it and see it and know what it can be. Know what it should look like. Know what it can look like. Know how fun it can be. And then, like, you know what I mean? Then try to recreate that with your dog instead Mm. of, looking at like we always talk about the dog knowing what it looks like from this position and from this picture and having this very exact like I want I don't want you to turn your shoulder back when you're in heel position you know what I mean like I want to look straight ahead get a mirror if you have to like because it's so important for the dog to know what the picture looks like but then we don't really put that much emphasis most people don't really put that much emphasis on what the person looks like like seeing the picture from the person's perspective have you ever heard the term the dog in white have you ever heard that no. So uh, at a Mondio trial, they have what's called the dog in white, and uh, he does the test in front of everybody as a, as yeah, a demonstration of the as test. Well. Mm. Yeah, in Noseworks. So it's uh, in PSA, say we have a handler meeting where all the handlers walk around the field and get talked through. This is how it's going to go because there's surprise scenarios. You know, it has to be explained to you, and Mondio is the same. Like, it's not like a BH where you, you just do the steps yourself. You're expected to know it. It would be impossible for you to know it. So in Mondio, they have what they call a dog in white and the same in, in Noseworks where mm. a dog who already has the title of the game that we're about to play comes out with a handler and actually performs the routine in front of everybody so they get to see, oh, okay, this is exactly what it is. And that doesn't have to go perfectly, you know what I mean? Like it's still a trial and just because a dog has passed that test before doesn't mean it's going to pass perfectly, but at least everybody then gets to see the eyes on. So it's kind of that same thing. You get to lay down that track of observation and go like, yeah, I see what's happening. I can recreate Mm. that. Yeah, that's why it was so important when I came out to Australia the first time to film that stupid SR test. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. at the time, people were like, what in the hell are you talking about? <laughs> but now the video, you're just like, boom, here's the video. People are like, sweet, thank you. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, so tell us about right. what's changed in SR since then. You know, back then it was minimum five-point deductions if anything went wrong. And you've had rule changes since then, and there's rule changes next year. And, and people can start <laughs> playing off of those 2020 rules. Is that right? Yeah, what I did was uh, we made some we made some rule changes that were scheduled to mandatorily go into effect uh, in 2020. But because so many people, uh, I'm pretty open about what I did. I'm not going to like just surprise it. Like, boom, 2020, and have everybody go, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Like, so I'm pretty open about what I'm developing and what I'm changing. Mm-hmm. And so it's like once I went, like this is what the change is going to be. 
people started asking like, well, can we run a practice? Like, can you run a practice test for this? Can you do, you know, can I try it out one time with these rules or whatever? And then I started telling people like, look, if you want to volunteer to do this, you can do this. Like at the last SR test, what I told people was let me know if you want to try to do it by 2020 rules or if you want to do it by 2019 rules. In 2020, it's mandatory. Everybody's taking 2020 rules, period. Mm -hmm. But I'm giving people a chance to try uh, their hand at it if they want to. So the major difference is like uh, um, the major difference in SR. So first of all, we've added levels to the SR. So there's SR1, SR2, and SR3. Um, we've given... So one of the problems was people would fall in love with the idea of the SR test and they'd have these dogs for whom doing obedience was really cool and really interesting, but they weren't really into the drive sports. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have dogs that are going to hang on spring poles. Their dogs may be 15 years old and it's not going to do wall climb or whatever, but they really enjoyed the community and they really enjoyed the concepts and they really enjoyed the idea of the SR. But they were like, cool, I got my SR and now what? I guess we're done. So I was like, okay, I would like for people not to graduate SR and then just go find the sport that they're going to be able to do because they're not going to do treadmill races. Mm -hmm. So I made levels for people that are into our style of obedience or into the SR style of the test, but they want to have additional challenges. So we made escalating levels of difficulty for SR1, SR2, and SR3. In SR1 2020 rules, we started, well, in all the levels, we started making uh, one-point deductions available instead of five-point deductions. And you, being the pain in my ass, you're, you're one of the people that, that <laughs> Pat, I'm pointing at you, Pat, you're one of the people that made me think about this, right? Because at first I was just like, here's what it is, five points, 15 points. And you would talk to me about different sports and being like that's a big cost deduction for something pretty minor and there's a conversation that you don't even remember there was a conversation where you said something about you said something about as a judge making it i don't even know how to word it correctly like making it likely that you're going to have worse standards mm -hmm. because if the only amount of points you can take is five points and somebody does something that's not quite right but it's not so bad that you're like, that's a full five point deduction. Yeah. What, what you're left with is, well, I'm not going to take five points. So now I'm not going to take any points, mm -hmm. but now everybody, including everybody watching, everybody seeing it on video, that person, that dog now looks at that and goes, that's the standard. Yeah. Cause that was a perfect. And you're like, but it's not perfect but I'm either going to piss everybody off by giving a five point deduction because the dog's ears in their own spot. Or I'm going to go, well, that's not bad enough for five. And then it degrades. And then the next person does it just slightly more wrong than that person. And you go, well, that's not, what's worth five. And then the next thing you know, three years later, there's shit standards. Yeah. I remember I the like, conversation. We were talking about holding the down. And it was, at that time, it was five points if the dog flops onto a, onto a hip. And I was like, man, that, yeah. is, that is a costly error. Yes. Considering for a small, yeah, for a small thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that for me, yes. you know, like it, when I did my PSA one, the long down is only five points and my dog yeah. barked the whole time through it. He sat up, he went back down. He didn't leave the space that yes. is allocated to it and he still got like two points. Right. And that's, what I remember yeah. thinking like by GRC standards, he should have mm -hmm. zeroed that exercise. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's an interesting concept. I was talking to Janet Edwards and Jerry Bradshaw when I was 
doing some uh, apprentice judging out here for the PSA trial. And mm-hmm. one of the good points that Jerry made to me was you can look at a dog and when you look at the paperwork, you can see that the deductions are lower than what the pass rate is. And he said, but if you look at that dog, the overall performance it did and say to yourself, you know, that dog really should have passed because overall the job was quite good. He said, then you go back and look up where you can make a few points back up for the test. He said, it's not, mm-hmm. it's not that you're trying just to help your mate out to get a pass. And he said, but the whole point is, is that you don't want to look at the exercise and say, you know what, that it, it's just a lot of little things that can cost you, but you got to look at the overall picture and say to yourself at the end of the day, that whole picture looked quite good. You know, like that still held looked like a pass. It, it looked like a pass. It held a good standard. So really, I mean, the dog and the handler don't deserve to not pass because they performed like a good standard on the day. It might not have been excellent, but it was good enough to encourage you to go through. So then you might look at an exercise and say, I, I took three points off for that. Maybe I'll take off two and a half instead yep. because the difference is negligible. But the overall showing was like this person and that dog deserve to pass today. But these minor errors added up too much and we can then change it and you and that's that's your right it's not you're obligated right but that you can you can feel that yeah but and it's just it's just having that mental image of what it should look like at the end of the day Mm. between passing and not passing well that idea of like this is it's so stupid because it's reminding me as i'm thinking about it it reminds me of like shaping yeah i mean like the idea that if you start rewarding the wrong things you're going to start to develop the wrong picture. And if the correct thing gets unrewarded, you're not going to get the right picture, right? So it's like in your judging, in your in your criteria for points, you have to be really careful. It's like that Cobra effect thing. You have to be really careful that you're not accidentally causing a different problem. Mm-hmm. Like I was thinking by having hard standards, like oh, it's a five-point loss if the dog does this, right? Like boom, that's going to make better standards. Mm-hmm. But the truth is it's going to make worse standards because you're going to feel like an asshole the day of. If a dog does something really minor, you're not going to want to take five. Yep. Mm. But it's not correct. But you don't want to take five for it. But now the fact that I was trying to be – the fact that I was trying to have good standards is making my standards worse. Mm-hmm. And then being able to take a one point is much better to be able to go, you know what? It's not worth five, but I got to say something. Mm. I think That's the shaping example is good, easier. Jay. Because at the start of any shaping exercise, it's quite disheveled what you're doing. You know, like you're still building the process of the dog trying to learn what it's trying to do. And in this case, especially in the entry level sections of it, like GRC and PSA, Mondio, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the handler and the dog aren't going to look neat as a pin when when you're looking at that overall picture. They're still learning. There's a lot of nerves to overcome because they've just hit the field together. So there's a lot of things that have to be taken into consideration for the picture that you're seeing as you become and it's again like shaping as you become more seasoned to it and and closer to getting that successive approximation towards the end then you can say to yourself well now that you're hitting the intermediate and advanced levels of the sport now i do have that expectation and now and and now that cutting fine line you do have to pass that point you know there's no easy makeup here anymore you now really deserve or, or now sorry you now really should be at a standard where you can successfully pass Here's the line. You've got to stride over it. I think there was a, a thing I heard in a Tony Robbins speech or something one time where he was talking about the analogy of like a, it's like a garden, like gardening. The choices that you make right now 
don't affect anything right now. Like you put a seed in the ground right now, it doesn't do anything. Mm. But in six months, that's going to matter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like when it develops, it, these things matter. Like how much of phosphorus you have in us, whatever. Six months from now, it's going to be a big thing. Mm-hmm. And so it's like when you're at this macro level of a, of a sport, the way that you craft the rules eventually will change the way that people train. Mm-hmm. Because they're training for the sport. Yep. And so, like, uh, in every other aspect of the SR test, the 2020 rules are more lenient, which is odd to say more lenient because it's helping me make more accuracy. Mm-hmm. Because if every small thing I have to take zero or five, I'm not going to take five. That means I'm going to take zero, which means I have no standards. <laughs> but being able to go, that was worth one. Like you're, you're shifted over to a hip. I need to say something about it. I need to make mention of it. So you'll know in your training, you want that not to happen, yeah. but it's not worth five points, right? Yeah. You need to feel some yeah. loss. You need a point. You need yeah. a kick over that, but you don't need to be, to be beaten over it. And also an explanation yes. of what you could have done better next time. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Right. So, but it, so it allows the judge to actually be more lenient technically, but that oddly enough will have a better effect on precision because people will be more rewarded for precision instead of less rewarded for precision, which is cool. But it actually like it lets me address some stuff in the leash portion because now that the dog like the dog was on this loose leash walk idea, and all we talked about was the amount of tension in the line. Mm. Right, and just the amount of tension because that's loose leash. The amount of tension in the thing. Okay, no problem. But then people started like passing their leash behind their back, passing their leash between <laughs> their legs, doing a thing where they do a three sixty spin because the dog's walking around them and they're just like spinning around like a top as they walk because the dog. If they don't do that, the dog's gonna get tangled up and get tight. Mm-hmm. But now I'm like, wait a minute, that was not the intention. The intention was, does your dog know how to yield to the leash cooperatively, not do you know how to run fast enough while spinning in circles to avoid creating leash tension? Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? So then I was like, well, shit, you know what I mean? Or at the beginning of the at the beginning of the verbal obedience, people were doing this thing where they were like, their entrance to the middle was this complicated out, back, and around the leg situation, which who gives a shit if it's off leash, but if you're holding your leash, it's either impossible or dangerous. Mm-hmm. But because of the scoring of the sport, it didn't matter. They're dropping their leash and calling their dog to middle. But the whole pitch was like, dude, if this is your, I'm in an elevator emergency situation, you can't drop your leash and then call your dog to position. You need to keep your hand on the leash. Mm -hmm. But I had inadvertently, because of the scoring, been encouraging people to do something that was tactically less sound in both of those scenarios because it was not addressed in the rules anywhere. So then I'm like, shit, okay. So in the leash section, now if you pass the leash, if you have to adjust the leash in any way other than passing it from hand to hand in front of your body, then you lose a point. So like if you just transfer your leash from your left hand, right hand in front of your belly, it's no problem. If you got to pass it between your legs like the fucking Harlem Globetrotters, okay, you're losing a point. Yeah, yeah. Because it's not tactically sound if you pass it your leash between your legs, you know? If your dog gets you tangled and you have to do a fucking pirouette to untangle yourself, that should be a deduction. You shouldn't be able to have to pirouette to untangle your dog and not have somebody take note of it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, so in the leash section, in 2020 rules, the leash section are costing people some points because they have not been practicing that. 
But in all of the other sections, it's helping people because it's reducing the amount of deductions. But I think overall, it's going to be overall people, once they understand what the points are and they train for it, it won't be a problem. Mm. So I just realized something that bear with me for two minutes while we explain GRC, because, you know, just so that this podcast can stand alone, we, since we've talked about it on the show, the listenership has gone up. So maybe there's people listening that don't know exactly what it is. So, you know, GRC is uh, Jay's game that he's created gameness relationship control is what it stands for. And it's four drive events that you can compete in, which is uh, weight pool, wall climb, mill races and spring pole. And they're the old school games reinvented to include control work. I.e., your dog just doesn't do weight pull. They have to uh, tactically heal like middle position heel up to the start line and that kind of thing. And there's, there's various levels with varied amount of control work to enter the sport. You must do this SR test, which is what we've just been talking about. And the SR test now has three levels because some people just want to do the SR test and the SR test has it, test three components. Uh, the first is just like a leash sensitivity. So can you just walk around with your dog and you do that meeting people and go through some obstacles? Then there's an obedience portion. And the obedience is actually quite basic in that it only involves a few positions by recalling to the front, coming into the middle. And those are sticky positions, i.e. you move around when you're doing those things. It's not like you just stay still, call your dog to there. And the dog holds it down. And then uh, there's a liberty period where the dog just gets to do whatever they want. You just tell the dog to just chill out and the dog has, there's a list of things the dog can't do, but essentially the dog just has to not jump on the people who are present, not do like zoomies or random frenetic activity, just like be a socially responsible dog. And that's the point of it. So what are uh, two things on or that I just wanted? So that's the sort of the history of GRC and where it's at. I want to talk to you about two things. I don't know if you saw the video Jay, of me doing the PSA level two obedience the other week, but we talk about middle a lot, right? And, and this is such a, for such a fucking stupid, simple little behavior, it causes so much controversy on the internet. And I just can't believe how many people get upset about this really? and want to make a big deal out of one of the easiest things on the planet to teach or and have in your dog. So for me... I have always taught my dogs to go into the middle. Every dog I've ever owned has known how to do that. And it's for different reasons than what you teach it for, Jay. I know for you, it's a control safe position, right? And for me, I do it because it is a control position. But until GRC, I knew I would never be scored on my dog's entry to the middle or his ability to hold the middle. So for me, when I'm teaching a retrieve, or when I'm doing early stages of bite work, I do that from the middle because I don't care how badly I damage that position. And so imagine I'm teaching my dog to retrieve and I bring him into the heel and then I throw the retrieve item and then he retrieves it and then we, we, we work that cycle over and over and over. Well, what happens is the, the entry to the heel goes unreinforced and therefore before too long that behavior will go extinct or not necessarily go extinct but certainly will degrade you'll get because, a contingent behavior yeah because my dog's like you know i don't get paid here anymore so it means yep. i have to start I, even though i just want to do retrieves i have to interrupt my retrieve training to pay my re-entry into the hills to keep that how i want it to look because i will be judged on that so i in the past would always teach those type of behaviors from the middle right? Because I don't care how my dog enters the middle. And for me, the idea of like doing it tactically or safely or controlling my dog in a, in a, um, in a concerning environment is not of concern to me, but so I have that skill and I have it in the bank. I don't know if you saw the video, I'll send it to you, but, uh, 
the PSA level two obedience is mayhem on the field, right? And there's a variety of exercises that happen. And then there's points where, okay, that exercise is complete, move over to the next exercise. Now, Mm -hmm. while my dog knows all those exercises and while he's doing them, uh, he's in control and he has to be in a heel or going out, doing the retrieve and that kind of thing. But when we move from one station to the next to complete the the next exercise, it's not like we suddenly get to do that in a fucking vacuum. All those yeah. things that are there to cause him problems are still there. but And yes. intensifying in and some cases. Exactly. The decoys are running over to get set up for the next mm. exercise and that kind of thing. So I don't know if anybody mm-hmm. noticed that people that were there and people that were have watched the videos, how did I move often between those exercises? I flipped my dog into the middle. Now, it's a totally unscored yeah. event and I'm, not, it's a, I'm allowed to do that. I'm not allowed to... Um, touch my dog like with my hands, but I can put him between my legs. And for me, I thought, you know what? This is the fucking safest place I can put my dog mm. because I yeah. can't I can't earn any points from the middle, but I sure as fuck can get disqualified if my dog just goes, hey, you're not paying attention to me. We're moving. You're setting up for the next exercise. Mm. I am just going to fly mm. over here and bite this decoy. And in one exercise, yes. I did it in a down because I could put him in a down. That was practical when I was setting up for the retrieve. But mm-hmm. when I have to move around, I need him to come with me. I've got two options then, right? Do I continue to ask him to heal? And then he requires my attention to heal. And like healing is a cooperative thing for him. Or do I just mm-hmm. flip him into the middle? And in that moment... You've been doing it. You've been doing it. Yeah, yeah. For a while without reinforcing That's it right. in some cases. So it's like, dude, how long are you going to be doing this for, bro? Yeah. Exactly. And I just thought it was interesting because I, I, I didn't... It wasn't like a cognitive decision I made at the time. I just noticed that it happened. And then I was watching the video afterwards, especially there's a part where he was meant to recall to me and he jumped on the bonnet of the car. And then that exercise is complete because he attempted to recall as well as he could, which it, the the actual recall was impossible. And I think Jerry's intention in the judging of that was just to see how close can do? your dog try to recall and what would he do? Sure. And my dog jumped yeah. on the bonnet of the car and tried to recall through the windscreen. And then, okay, well, that's <laughs> it. Like, like that's, that's complete. But now my dog is left on the bonnet of the car with two decoys moving around and I have to get like four meters to where my next exercise is going to start. So while he's standing yeah. on the bonnet of the car, did I call him to heal? No fucking way. <laughs> right? I bring him back into the middle. We walk over to where the next exercise is going to start. I flip him back out of the middle into the heel and we carry on. Right. And so I just nice. thought I'd bring that up as like all these people are like, Oh, the middle, this and the middle, that. And, uh, me and you teach it for totally different reasons, for totally different reasons yeah. in a different sport. But I found myself under duress using it for the exact reason you fucking teach it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's funny because it's one of those things where even if you've never thought about it like that, if you have it at your disposal, I always tell people, I'm like, this is where you're going to go when the shit gets sideways. Mm-hmm. And if you have it at your disposal, you even people that go like, nah, I don't really care about it for that. Sooner or later, you will catch yourself using it and go, oh, look at that shit. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it's just, there's just no, there's just no other compare. There's no other position that offers you that. As much that control. Level of like contact control awareness. You know what I mean? There's just not, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and a very it's, good it's framing fun. exercise. What does that mean? 
it means that you've got both sides of your legs that the dog can move in between oh, and you've got yeah. instead of the dog having one point of contact you've got two points of contact mm. that the dog can be directed to the center of you and therefore you've got a better focal point to operate with your dog yeah you can subtly coerce the dog into a yeah. position via pressure yes. on your legs and, and then even yeah. then in a in a position where there's no tools allowed i'm not allowed to yeah. use pressure in the form of collar pressure mm. but certainly when the dog's in the middle my legs against him is you've got that framed position yeah. and if yes. i want to influence the the way he he moves i can just apply some more pressure to my left leg and he'll move to the right mm. it's, it's it's actually very difficult to see but like without squeezing like I, without like uh, doing this weird like a kid that's got a pee up squeezing my legs together you know what i mean like mm. without doing that i can just keep my legs not spread and it becomes difficult for the dog to exit that position mm -hmm. like there's there's that space between their rib cage and their hips yeah right like it's it, there's their hips are wider than their spine and they're you know what I mean? like yeah, yeah it's an hourglass and my legs fall in the center of that hourglass it's very difficult for them to go forward or backwards right not that you're restraining them in that position but man if i it is way easier for me to go and flex my legs together than it is for me to do almost anything else you mm -hmm. know mm -hmm. and it's like it's just an added ability to control and i, I think a lot of times People don't see me doing that sometimes at the spring pole. Like when you, I put my dog in the middle, I take my leash off, I'm getting ready to send him to the bite. And I'm not squeezing. And it would be, you'd be hard pressed to catch it on film and be able to circle it and point to it and go right there. You're restraining him. Because yeah, yeah. we're just standing in this position. Yeah. But if he tried to take off running, his hips would probably hit my calves. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, I am not at risk of losing my dog. You know what I mean? Like, and I can't say that for any other position. Any other position, I'd be like, there's a chance this stuff that shit runs away. So, so let me see if I understand something correctly. When you're doing the spring pole and you're going to send your dog into it, your dog is between yep. your legs where there's a small amount of pressure. Oh you my god, you've just turned this into that, a <laughs> You then relieve that pressure and then your dog flies out and performs the behavior which is very reinforcing to him. So that wouldn't yes. happen to sound anything like knee po po to anybody else, would it? Well, it's actually funny at the seminar. Uh, when Jay and Chad first came over, Chad was explaining something and Jay come up to the back of me and tapped me on the shoulder and he goes, I dare you to say, that sounds like neighbor. Hey, so the other thing I wanted to say, oh, you, you go ahead, go ahead. I was going to tell you, I had a, uh, your, your bit, we did this, uh, Facebook live thing just the other day about, uh, I mean, it wasn't about market discrimination. It was about just question and answers, but we wound up talking a shit ton about mm -hmm. market discrimination, which is something that I got from you guys. And, uh, I was going to say just the other day, I had this moment that as it was happening, I was like, this is where Pat would poke me and go, ah, you know, <laughs> I, had, I had my tongue toy in my pocket. I recalled my dog, uh, to front off of the spring pole. And I, I have been using both, 
a tug toy in my hand and the spring bolt variably so he doesn't know where the reward's going to come from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but usually he's not as turned on to the target as he was that day. I don't know why. But he was all amped on the target. So when he recalled to front to me, my assumption was that it was because he was not certain which reward was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Turns out he really wanted the spring pole more, didn't give a shit about the tug toy. He was just actually doing the correct behavior mm-hmm. with enthusiasm. Strangely enough, I was not expecting that. I thought <laughs> I tricked him into it. I was like, I totally tricked him. So he's in this beautiful front, and I take the tug toy out of my pocket, and I'm going to reward him for me. Uh-huh. And I went, yes, and he just turned around and ran right back for the spring pole. Yeah. Now, I had my flexi on it. But that's one of those things like where I've heard you talk and you've been like, look, you must take this reinforcer. Uh-huh. Like you can't just choose the other one. Mm-hmm. So my dog just goes, you know, and I go, yes. And instead, I'm waiting for the cash in my hands and he just goes, one takes off. And I have my flexi. So I just go tap the flexi and he comes running back and he gives me the shittiest like a kid eating fucking Brussels sprouts. Like yeah, he yeah, yeah. this toy. <laughs> he made this toy like me. <laughs> and after like one second, I would get it and send it back to the thing. Perfect. But it was just funny because as I did it, yeah, as, as I did it, I was like, this is where Pat gives me shit. Right yeah. now is when he told you. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and so I believe in that, man. If you let them choose which reinforcer they want when you tell them to take one other, maybe they choose to go into a down when you say to sit. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the same. Sure. It's That's the same neural pathway that just says, uh, I'll do something approximating what you want rather mm. than actually yeah. what you want. Well, that's the thing I talk about all the time. There's like literal and interpretive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like if your dog is taking what you're saying as a literal thing, it's different than interpretive. And interpret like dogs are awesome in the fact that they can correctly interpret us, and that's why we love them so much. And that's why that granny out in the sticks somewhere that doesn't do shit for obedience has a dog that follows her around and everything. They interpret their life is in perfect harmony because they have interpreted one another perfectly well. Mm-hmm. But the problem is when you get into a situation where the dog cannot make a mistake or you need something very specific, interpretation is bad because if they choose the wrong multiple choice box, everything goes sideways. Yeah. So like you got to decide, like if you need it to be exact, it must be literal. It can't be interpreted. You have to tell them exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. And so like I've always thought that with obedience, but then – to break it down into markers and stuff like, uh, yeah, it was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was one of those, it was one of those told you so moments that I was like, Son of a bitch. You know? <laughs> I found, I found my moment on film, actually the one where you talk about Val the day that you said, okay, and she blew yeah. off the decoy and ran. Yeah. I found that moment. I was looking through a bunch of old video videos and I found a moment like 2013 or something with Jax right when I first got him. And I have him doing like positions for a tug toy. And I, I put him in a downer. I know he was on a place board and it was an elevated board. So like there's space underneath him mm-hmm. and I take this ball and I'm bouncing this ball as a distraction. I have no intention of him biting this ball. I'm bouncing this ball and I roll the ball under the place board that he's sitting on. Right. And it rolls under him and past him. And I was like, nice. That was amazing. Like, I was so impressed with he held that. I was so fucking pumped. And I take my tug toy and hold it out in front of me and I go, okay. And at the time, it was just okay for everything. And I went, okay. And he just goes, for the, for the ball. Yeah. Yep. And you see, it's funny because I caught the moment. It was such a quick moment. 
I, you see my face go, Ugh, that's not what I wanted. But then I went, I fucking good enough. It's cute, right? But I couldn't get that like out of my head for one second. Like I, I got myself past it. Yeah, yeah. But when I saw it, I was like, that was the moment that I first realized it was a problem. Like yeah, yeah. that was the moment that I went, there's a hole in my game and I have to ignore it hard or I'm going to have to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to take my eyes off that or it's going to be one of those things I have to fix. So yeah. bitch, right? Hey, so um, there's something I want to ask you about, right? So GRC, it's been running now for, well, probably five years kind of unofficially or unpublicly, right? And maybe 18 months or thereabouts sort of in front of people and on the books and trials that people have been going to. Yeah. So, you know, we had a trial here, and we you coming back in a a month or so to do three to weeks. do more, and yeah, three weeks now. But you've done yeah. that sort of same gap about twelve months time in the states. I know you yeah. sort of invented this game, and and with the intention to change the way people live with their dogs and change the way people yeah. change their dogs. You've probably now had enough time to observe. Is it working? It's really cool. It's really cool because what happens is. All of these people who are the intention was knowing human tendency to train towards a game or train towards a goal. If you want to reverse engineer, if I want people to behave certain ways with their dogs, I have to invent a game in which behaving that way with their dogs is how they win the game. Mm -hmm. Right? So that was the grand experiment was, can you reverse engineer this? to make that happen. And it's crazy because now there's, I don't know, man, there's 1500 people on that jersey discussion group page. We have like 150 registered jersey competitor members across the world. We now have a judge in Slovakia. There's a couple of judges in Australia. There's clubs in Canada. We just had two people, uh, we just had two people become members, I think yesterday or the day before from Europe, like they're in England, they're doing it, or I guess Slovakia is in Europe too. So in England, there's two members now. So it's like, man, it really is like actually becoming this thing, Uh but watching all of these people, watching all these people post videos about doing like liberty with their dogs or doing like relaxation with their dogs or like sharing some story about, you know, I used to talk shit about middle. Some guy put, put a video up, uh, today, I think where he was like, you know, I hated middle when I, I was like, Ugh, this is terrible. And he was going to like, he liked all the other aspects of the sport, but was not in the, it was one of those begrudging, take your medicine, yeah, just yeah. do the stupid middle and then we can move on. And he was like this position, has a massive impact on his dog and it's changed everything and this whole thing. But like he puts this video up of the dog that he was going to foster that now he's keeping as his JRC dog and they have this kick-ass relationship. It's just, it's fucking cool to think that you're actually doing something that is impacting people's lives beyond the trial field mm-hmm. because the, I can give a shit about I don't care. I want to actually improve the lives of dogs. Yeah. But this was like a really cool experiment to see how that has affected people. And it's like, it's pretty crazy, man. It's like, it goes, it goes pretty far reaching. Like there's some shelters now that are using the SR test as their test instead of a CGC. I had somebody contact me about trying to put this into a prison system dog training thing. So like the guys that are in prison that are training the dogs instead of doing whatever it is they're doing now would be doing JRC related stuff. That's mm-hmm. cool. That's just, cool. Mm. 
Dude, super cool. Because the pitch that I had, the idea that I had was, it's not just for the dogs, right? Like if those guys are training those dogs, if those guys are training those dogs and they're getting into it, they're adopting those dogs out. Like the dogs that are being trained yeah. in prison programs are up for adoption. Yeah. Well, it's kind of cool because if the dog gets adopted out and has a set of skills and there is a local club where that is occurring and the people that adopt the dog are told, hey, listen, there's this local club that does what your dog knows how to do shows them a video of their dog doing it, they're probably going to end up going to club at some point with their dog. And then everybody at the club is like, oh, you got Fluffy. Let me show you what Fluffy can do. And then, like, they're going to have a social network Mm -hmm. of people that are into dogs. They're going to have support with their dog. That's so much better from an adoption scenario. Mm -hmm. But then I started thinking about the other side of it. It's those guys that get out, man. When they get out, if there is a GRC club local to them and they have been training dogs to compete, they're going to get out and wind up going to the club. I guarantee you they're going to be into the idea of GRC. Mm-hmm. They're not going to have a dog. So they're going to wind up going and adopting a dog. Mm-hmm. So it's like two dogs have been adopted out because of that dude. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to have a support staff. Like they're going to have a group of people and it's going to, it's going to behoove them to stay out of trouble because if they get in trouble, they're not going to lose their dog. They're not going to see the guys at club anymore. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's and as an icebreaker, how cool would that be if you just got out of prison and you're turning up to the club and no one knows you, but their dogs do? The dogs are like, hey, we haven't seen you in well, you know, however yeah, long, dude. right? You know, you pull up and somebody's like, oh, I'm not sure I know about you. You kind of sketch me out. And then you're like, actually, I'm the guy that got fluffy their SR title. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, what? And you're like, oh, yeah. And they're like, oh, man, I'm having trouble with this. So actually, that's because Fluffy responds badly to this. Have you tried standing like this? And then the yeah, dog yeah. does better. All of a sudden, that dude's their new best friend, not the guy with the weird tattoo on their neck. Mm-hmm. I think you know things I mean? like GRC and Noseworks are very inclusive sports that almost all dogs can enter into. And it's changing lives. Even in the interim, I've been watching little videos that Jazz Whiting's been putting up of dogs, you know, that she's been helping over here running on the mill. I've been watching it on your own feed where you've got dogs on mills and on spring poles and so forth. And I mean, you know, I've seen a few of the guys up up north in Queensland doing it as well. So it's, it's absolutely fantastic. I don't think I've ever seen such enthusiasm and interaction in a very inclusive dog sport where people are really getting excited about implementing all these new tools and new strategies and new positions with their dogs. So yeah, it's, it's really creating waves, mate. So well done. It's a, it's a, it's a great incentive for a lot of people. You know, what's funny to me is the, (laughs) the amount of not pit bulls. Yeah. Yeah. Like I honestly think pit bulls maybe like a minority breed, (laughs) which blows my mind because when I first started doing this, I'm like, you know, people would be like, you think anybody that, has a dog other than a pit bull would ever do this? I'm like, I don't know, but maybe. I mean, I hope I hope that at some point we have a dog that's not a pit bull do it. That would be cool. And now it's just like, there's Frenchies pulling weights. There's like all these long-haired pointy-nosed dogs on mills and shit. It's crazy. I'm just like, I see less straight-up pit bulls than other dogs. Not because... because there are so many like it's just across the board like there's so many different dogs doing it it really does not look like from the outside it doesn't look breed related even though all the games were based on the old pit bull games it does not look breed related when you look at pictures Mm -hmm. like when you look at pictures you see shit tons of different dogs Mm -hmm. you know what i mean it's pretty cool that that's exciting about it 
what I'm really super excited to see when you come back to Australia is people who the SR test was new to a lot of people. They'd only just been shown it and they, you know, a lot of people had a crack at it and only a few people passed because it, it is a very difficult test and they hadn't had opportunity to train for it specifically. They were still learning what it was. But when you're back here, my hope is those same people come out and have a go because what I've been watching in the States is like your crew there in Maine, I've been lucky enough to, to do the seminar at your place there and know some of the people, right? And I was speaking to those people about, you know, the first time they did the SR test and it didn't go well and they've, they've had it yeah. because it's a hard test and they weren't ready for it. And then was it a week or two ago, you guys had a trial there and yeah. most of those people then passed and not only passed, like really fucking passed, like passed really well oh, and yeah. easily. Right. So yeah, we had, we had six people pass, which I think is the biggest for sure in America. That is the biggest group of people pass a test. Mm -hmm. Like it's usually a couple, maybe one, maybe two, sometimes nobody, but for six people or five, five or six people at, at, at a thing to all pass the test was crazy. I mean, 18 people entered six pass and still more failing than not, but far and away mm -hmm. when they can just like exponentially more people than normally pass. And I, I, I don't, I don't know if we want to make a scientific statement about it yet, but yes, everybody that passed had done your cinema. That's the plug he was waiting that, for. He's hoping for that. That's not where I was going. No, that is nice to hear. Um, but what I was... <laughs> he he napo-poed you into that. He put you under pressure and he was waiting for the reward. Uh, but I got the reward. <laughs> that is nice to hear, but that's not where I was going with it. What, um, what, I, what I sort of was... <laughs> <laughs> leading to is now you have a data set of people who had not passed and now have passed and they're people you know and get to see and have you observed a change in behavior with them and their dogs are their dogs more livable are they happier is is life better yeah that's the thing is that now a lot of the people uh, a lot of the people that are pursuing it because before almost everybody that took the test the test was new to them so they were trying to pass the test with whatever skills and lifestyle they had at that moment but now they're changing skill sets and lifestyle parameters to try to become more prepared for this mm -hmm. right perfect and so you're noticing these like these dogs that are like Dogs that like, so for example, Carrie's dog, the squealer, <laughs> she, she, she has had a dog who the first couple of times passed the SR test, I mean, passed uh, the first couple of times he failed the SR test, was like, pulled her off her feet, was one NQ, and at one point like jumped up and knocked somebody backwards, like not in any sort of aggression, but just like, blah, yeah. just over aroused play, right? Knocked over a greeter shit like that, you know what I mean? Or like broke the down and like zipped across the room and like, you know, but all of it was just like, can't control the bananas, right? Mm -hmm. So she's been training in earnest for the last couple of months. I mean, she was training before, but now it's like, she's really paying attention. She's taking SR seriously. She's really devoted to the training of it. And she brought her dog in. I was one point at the defensive tactics seminar where I was talking about using personal play as practice with dogs. 
So like different types of play as a way to practice. Like if you can become a decoy, it will help you. If you get good at playing tug, you have a better understanding of timing and bites. If you can wrestle with your dog and play fight with your dog, like all of these games let you develop some of the skills and attributes that will help you if you ever had to get in a fight with the dog. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Carrie, do you have your dog who seriously like a month ago when we're, we're like just him not even having permission, just like wah, like teeth clacking as I parry him because he's trying to headbutt me. Like mm-hmm. not ag- not aggro at all, just like wah, just stupid excited. And I'm like, go get Hooper. Because I'm going to show people what it looks like to play with a crazy high drive dog and I'm going to be able to do this stuff. And she brought him in and he was just normal. Not flat. <laughs> not flat. Like, not like she has flattened him. He was just like, not Making cool. good decisions. Yeah. And it was like, that, that's wonderful for you. I'm super happy for you. All these, like, this is like the proof of the pudding for GRC training. It's totally not convenient for me right now because I wanted the nutbag. <laughs> <laughs> I was kind of hoping he'd be a shithead right now. But, uh, but yeah, you know what I mean? And we could turn him on because he still has it in him. But he walked in, in the, in the room where she has previously failed that test because he was over aroused. He walks in the room like, cool, like an appropriate level of arousal, greets people politely, doesn't pull her off her feet. And you're like, shit, look at that. You know what I mean? Like, now she's a little pumped for the next test. But it's like, that's pretty cool, man. And like, watching people all over the country, like I just got back from Utah, and watching people who, when you show up, it's not like they're going, wait, what is this test again? What do I need to do again? How would you train for that? They're like, yeah, we've been training. I know what this test is. You know what I mean? Like it's actually kind of turning into the thing that is guiding the direction of their training with their dogs. Yeah. Which is cool, man. Mm. Super cool. It's super cool. So I, I, I don't even know how to like, it still seems surreal to me. You know what I mean? Because now it's beyond me. Like now it's like, like if I got hit by a bus tomorrow, this would keep going. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it, which is, it's crazy. It's like, it's turned into a thing that is actually self-sustaining and kind of has its own intrinsic momentum. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's amazing. But that's it's, how, it's you, still, that's how you should create anything. I mean, that's even the successful model for creating a business. You mean, you don't want to create a business that if you were to die or you're incapacitated, that it couldn't be taken over by a successor and, and run and the legacy is shared and you are remembered for what you did and created it. I mean, it get, it has to get to a point where people can start coming into it and they can be a part of your team and start, you know, shaping the direction and the future of it with you, which is very much what you're starting to do now. Like you're very gracious in taking um, points from people like Pat and Jazz and various other people that you're interacting with around the world. And most people who are are successful in sports and developing good systems that are part of a community program that's the way it's got to be that's the organics that it really needs to develop overall to become successful and become popular and become doable yeah speaking of it outgrowing me and not being reliant on me pat you gotta get uh, a grc seminar together so you can start putting that out mm-hmm. i mean yeah. a me popo based grc seminar or whatever right obviously but yeah 
but uh, but yeah, man. Because because like, I don't know if you heard, but everybody that passed the other week was seminar. Yeah, dude, you're gonna have the what, what's you as a coach that that's gonna put there's a statistic in there you could use for advertising like the most yeah. passingest coach yeah. or something. Right? I'm, I'm making the poster um, already. I'm, I'm putting it together. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, but yeah, the, the weird thing about it is now it has become enough of a popular thing that there are GRC classes, places, there's GRC seminars that are happening, not, not officially, uh, whatever you call it, sanctioned or recognized by GRC, but it's like, there's like, a, you know, there's a class right down the, down the, this person actually talked to me. They were like, Hey, I want to make my obedience class, I wanted to have an SR model as kind of like, that's the goal. Like mm-hmm. that's the ending test. Yeah. That's just happening all over the place. Like if I type GRC into Facebook, there's all these GRC groups and GRC things. And I don't know who they are. I'm that's like, cool. Holy shit. Uh, so it's while like we're talking about happened. dates on that, Jay, you've got your Australian tour coming up very soon, which you've got in Melbourne. And then you've got the 13th and 14th here in Sydney. Yeah. And I know that Jazz has uh, some trials planned. I don't know the exact days and times. If you look on the Jersey Dog Sports events page, like they're all on there for sure. Uh, but yeah, we're doing uh, SR tests. We're doing drive sports. We're doing a bunch of stuff uh, while I'm here. And the, and the seminar that- is like training. It's gameplay. It's lifestyle skills for the dog. And, mm-hmm. and that all sort of fits under the umbrella of GRC because that's exactly what GRC is, right? Yeah, it's interesting because it's like all of the seminars that I do are GRC applicable because we base the sport mm-hmm. on the way that I work dogs, yeah. right? Uh, so for me, if I just do a regular seminar, it would be totally applicable to GRC. Somebody else might have to teach a GRC-specific thing. Like if they normally do IPO, they'd have to switch it around a little bit. Yeah. But for me, like everything I do is is – the standards of all of my training are the standards of GRC and uh, everything that I do is applicable to it. Yeah. But yeah, we're definitely doing a ton of gameplay. I know a lot of people because there's all these different ideas of training modalities and everything that I do, I try very hard to be play based Mm -hmm. in in a lot of my training. Right. And so uh, I think even like the, 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 the food games that I play, the true chase game, it's like, a lot of people look at that from the outside and they're like, oh yeah, it's luring. And you're like, man, to me, there's a lot more to it than just like luring the dog around. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Somebody posts, somebody is already ha- either already has or is about to post a video today. I was working their dog uh, on middle and they were talking about the dog not wanting to go there. And I was like, listen, here's the deal. The dog doesn't want to go there because you're trying to make the dog go there. They think they don't understand what you're trying to make them do. And it's this whole thing. I was like, I'm going to play a competitive game with your dog where he's going to try to grab. He's playing offense. I'm playing defense. He's trying to get the the food. I'm trying to prevent him from getting the food. Right. Mm -hmm. And at some point the dog's chasing around and I start using my leg to block him out. And I'm like bumping him off of my lure hand with my leg. And then he discovers, he sees my hand and goes and flips his head underneath and goes in the middle to grab the food. And I act like, Oh no, everything is You got me. Oh, you got me. Right. Like it's good decoy work. If anybody knows what it is, you're like, Oh, and then I have this, like when he hits the pocket, you're like, Oh, and all the food comes out. Right. 
And I spend one or two reps doing that, like where I'm not asking him to go to middle yeah, yeah. in any way. I'm not trying to get him to go to between my legs. I am using these strategies with my legs to try to block him from my food hand because we're playing a competition game. And he beats me by discovering the strategy of going to the middle. Mm-hmm. And he all he mugs all this food off me because he found this strategy. And within two or three reps, the dog is smack. Like, it would be hard-pressed to keep him out. Like, I'd have to squeeze my legs together and push his head back out because he's like, fuck you, I know what wins. Let me in there. And he's, like, pushing his <laughs> way. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And we're doing this, like, the dog's in the middle, and I'm acting like I'm trying to get away from him. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm turning and spinning and moving. And the dog is like, fuck you, you can't shake me. This is my spot. Mm-hmm. And this was like three minutes later. You know what I mean? But it's because you put it in the idea of understanding. I'm not trying to get him in there. It's like I talk about this. I was, I was talking, I think it was Jazz was talking about this. Like you talk about liking shaping because it creates dogs that are not being told what to do. Mm-hmm. They're trying to figure out the winning strategy. Mm-hmm. And I think when people lure, in air quotes, they're not trying to teach the dog to win. Like They're not trying to teach the dog to strategize and find its advantage. They're trying to make the dog end up somewhere. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the dog just like follows it around all stupid and ends up somewhere, right? But I think luring, if you really understand how to make it a game and not just this way to create a position – the dogs kind of have the same idea. Like they're trying to figure out how to win covering strategies that pay. Mm. You know what I mean? But they think it's their idea. If you did it right, if you do it right, they're like, fuck you, I found it. That's a subtle difference in all those things where where luring becomes shaping at one point or another. And 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 all those direct rewards have to become an indirect reward at one point or another. And where that happens for every dog and person is sort of on a different timeline. But I guess we're running out of time, but we gotta sort of I wanna make people understand that even if they're not interested in GRC specifically, coming to the workshop with you, you're going to get heaps of those training and gameplay skills, lifestyle skills that are 100% applicable to GRC because that's what is involved. But if you're not, if you're the kind of person who says, I'm never going to compete in anything with my dog, you go, well, you're still going to get a lot out of coming to this, stuff that you probably need, so you should come along. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the idea. Is it's like if you look at the – even if you're like, I'm never going to compete. Well, if you want your dog to be cooperative and conflict-free on the leash, you want to have a couple of verbal commands and you want your dog to be able to chill out without being told what to do, it is that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. It's not bad. So if people yeah. want to get tickets to that, it's it's Jazz's website, right? Prime Canine. Prime Canine.com. If you just Google Prime Canine, uh, she might have a dash in there. It might be prime-canine.com. I'm not sure. Anyway, but we'll post a link in our, our Facebook group and on our page and that because time's running out. You're here in a couple of weeks. Um, I think it's like two weeks away, dude. Yeah, man. Well, we'll see you soon. Yeah, all the dog spots are filled and there's a few auditor spots left uh, in Sydney. Yeah, awesome. There you go. All right. Hey. Attacked by cockatoos again? Absolutely. Nothing changes here, my friend. (laughs) Crazy. Wait, is it winter out there now? It is cold as shit. Yeah. Like by Australian standards, which is like probably a, a mid midsummer a summer day in yeah. <laughs> hey jay I mean, thanks I for you guys having me i appreciate you guys having me out right. um, thanks for making the time yeah, thanks for making the time i look forward to seeing you yeah absolutely all right I'll see you guys soon that's it for another Cheers. episode of the canine paradigm <laughs> well you can say it at the end 
as always. <laughs> Let me finish the wrap up. As always, if you like what you hear, like, rate, share, subscribe, do that through whatever subscription service you download us from. If you want to support the show, the best way to do that is via Patreon. Three bucks a month gets you an extra episode a month. Ten bucks gets you a live Q&A and you can just give as much as you want if you're a cool person like that. And if you want to get in contact with us, you should do that via email. We are info at the canine paradigm.com. Jay? Cue the music. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs>